You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Good Monday morning and welcome in to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys with your host, Ryan Icky, right here on this hot, humid Monday morning as we are nearing the end of July. We do appreciate you tuning in uh, wherever you are and getting your week started with us. We hope to get your week started on a, on a good note here, as we always try to do every single Monday and Thursday morning from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's nice to be back. Had a little uh, family vacation in Lake George's past Thursday, which is why the show was not live, was not airing. Uh, had a nice has a nice time. The lake, if you've ever been to Lake George, it is absolutely gorgeous. A perfect, perfect place to be if you're a fan of a lake, if you are not a beach fan per se, or you love um, the great scenery that is nature of upstate New York. Lake George is definitely a place for you. So definitely nice to get you know a little R&R. Uh, enjoy some time in the lake, but more importantly, it's definitely a lot better to be back with you guys here um, on this Monday morning because we have a lot, a lot, a lot to get to. As you know, a common theme uh, for this show, for the most part, is that a lot of the news, a lot of the big breaking news breaks, for the most part, either right after our Monday show, right after our Thursday show, or basically the furthest point from when we're next on the air. And of course, you know, in a normal week, if we had a show last Thursday, we had a lot of stuff to talk about. We had Alex Rodriguez talking about a salary cap. We had this bombshell story from the Washington Post talking about just a horrible harassment culture that is in Washington with the NFL football team. And a lot of news going on throughout, you know, that we could have talked about on Thursday. Of course, what happens? We're not here on Thursday. And now we have to wait until Monday, which we have a lot of catching up to do. But it is a jam-packed show. I'm very excited because we do have a great show for you. Um, like I said, we will start with Dan Snyder and why he should be forced to sell the team. But I do want to get into the Dak Prescott era. It is, to me, it's nearing its end. And this is going to be the final year for Dak Prescott in Dallas. We talked about who needed a deal to get done more last week, whether it was the Cowboys or Dak Prescott. Deal has not gotten done. And it said Dak Prescott will play one year for $31.5 million, and then after that will become a free agent yet again after the 2020 season. We'll discuss why the end is near in Dallas for the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. I've lauded and applauded the NFL um, this entire pandemic so far for continuing business as usual, having their offseason go as planned. We had free agency go um, business as usual. We had the draft come and go. And for the most part, the NFL was the only sports league, major sports league, unaffected by the pandemic, unaffected by the coronavirus. Well, that's the change. NFL cannot continue business as usual anymore. I'll explain why that is what needs to get done as the season gets closer and closer and closer. And really, technically, it starts today because you have rookies for both the Chiefs and Texans. Remember, they will open the night on a Thursday night. You start this 2020 season with their rookies report to camp today. So really, the NFL starts today. Training camp for every other um, veteran player and the full teams will report next week. So it's getting very, very close for football season. So we'll discuss why the NFL cannot continue business as usual. Alex Rodriguez had some interesting comments because, as you know, or if you don't know, I'll inform you right now. Alex Rodriguez uh, teamed up with J-Lo and a ton of other um, athletes with a ton of other rich investors are trying to buy the Mets. So he has had added attention to him in his pursuit to buy the New York Mets. And he made a comment on Thursday night while on a um, – on a conference call for Sunday Night Baseball, basically saying that MLB needs to implement a salary cap and the players need to accept it. 
he got a lot of blowback, a lot of upset players, a lot of hypocrite, uh, hypoc- or I should say criticism, excuse me, because he was hypocritical as he has made the most money um, in be- uh, baseball history as a player. And now here he is saying that players should have a salary cap. Basically, salaries should be suppressed. And to be honest, I think A-Rod is right. I'll explain what he, one part he's missing, but I think for the most part, the overall message of what A-Rod is saying is correct. I'll explain that. 2020 Apocalypse, we have the Elite Eight. First round of the Elite Eight, a battle of the four and five seeds, Lauren versus Lauren, Heschel versus Clark. We'll see who can punch their ticket to the final four when we do that at 1020. And to finish off the show, MLB had some exhibition games this weekend, some real live baseball to actually watch. Although the games didn't count, it felt as real as it will in the regular season. And there was one aspect of the exhibition games. There's one aspect of baseball in 2020 without fans, with social distancing um, paramount that I thought really bothered me and really took away from overall what was a great product and what seemed to be, for the most part, a normal broadcast. I'll tell you what that is to finish the show. Like I said, I do want to get into um, this big Washington Post story that came out on Wednesday um, that highlighted uh, there's just the absolute horrific culture that has kind of that have, has been developed in Washington um, in the NFL team led under the ownership of Daniel Snyder. Um, as the Washington Post talked to 15 former employees, all females, and they all detailed their sexual harassment while employed as a member uh, um, of Washington. And this lasts from 2006 to 2019, so all during owner Daniel Snyder's tenure. And obviously the the Redskins have been in the news because of the name, the Redskins, is no more, because Daniel Snyder now has this sexual harassment um, culture that has come to the service and has been made public. So really, for the most part, Washington's NFL franchise has been a black eye on the NFL for years now, but especially of late. And to me, looking at this entire situation, looking at the landscape of the league, the NFL should absolutely force Dan Snyder to sell the team. Absolutely should force him. doesn't matter that, you know, with these sexual harassment allegations, none were directly tied to Dan Snyder, Right. All of these females I talked, none of them pinned it directly on him. He made any unwanted advances. He made any of these uh, disgusting comments towards these women and all the people he hired in his inner circle. But that's still not enough for me to justify him keeping the team. Think about it. Looking at it from the NFL's perspective, looking at it from Roger Dell and the other 31 owners, what has Daniel Snyder done as owner of the Redskins now for two decades? to be allowed to keep the team. Roger Goodell, as commissioner, has the power to push for a vote to remove an owner and force them to sell. This has never happened before. He's never had to push for a vote and have the owners vote to basically kick out an owner and strip him of his team. Now, if Roger Goodell was to push for a vote, what would need to happen is three-quarters of the owners, or essentially 24 of the 32 owners, would have to vote yes to push Daniel Snyder out. So I'll ask the question. What has he done to justify him keeping the team? Why should the NFL continue to back Daniel Snyder, continue to vouch for him, and basically keep giving him second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth chances? Because he's done nothing for them in a positive. Let's go through Daniel Snyder's tenure as owner overall when he took over the Redskins back in 1999. A lot of on-field issues, a lot of off-field issues. Let's start with the off-field issues first. He was the first owner, and the Redskins were the first team, to charge fans to go to and, uh, attend training camp during the summer. It's not like a big deal. But when you think about it this way, with the Redskins being a national fan base, with the Redskins being a very popular team, a lot of people want to go to the games. And now because of that demand, 
ticket prices increased, and they priced out a lot of average fans that couldn't make it to the games. So now going to training camp, watching teams, you know, watching the team practice in the summertime was the only way a lot of these fans could actually get close to the team and watch their favorite team play. Sure, it was a practice. Sure, maybe it was a scrimmage. But, you know, it was their only chance to really get close to the team because um, once the fall came, they would just watch it on TV. They couldn't afford to go to a game. Now, obviously, you know, you alienate some of the fans and you make it harder for those fans whose only opportunity maybe was to watch the team, was to be around the team, was at training camp, makes it a little harder to do so. When 9-11, unfortunately, tragically happened, the Redskins sold 9-11-themed Pentagon hats, 9-11-themed hats, and, of course, they did so for profit and then added a security charge to the tickets that, according to anyone, no one really had any idea what there was for. No one really knew what this extra charge went to. No one really knew what the cause of the extra charge was. And it seemed to be, you know, under the guise of security, but no one really knew. So, again, you know, you're profiting off of a a national tragedy, unfortunately. Let's go even further. This is the owner who sued his own season ticket holders during a recession. The Redskins had a plan where you can get like a 10-year season ticket package. And when the recession hit in 2007, 2008, a lot of those fans couldn't make due. They asked for a year off or two-year off, you know, to delay payments until the economy came back, until their jobs, maybe they were, if they were laid off, they were rehired, or if they, until their salary returned to normal, they asked for a year or two break from this, you know, multi-year commitment for season tickets. And Daniel Sonner said, no, you can't pay. Okay, we're going to sue you. And he sued his own season ticket holders to get the money back that he was owed during a recession. Not a good look. And finally, one of the most damning, and now, as we know, will will finally change, but up until this point, up until about two weeks ago, vowed to never, ever, ever, never in all caps change the name of the team, despite the fact that it was a racial slur, it was offensive to many, and a lot of different groups advocated for the changing of the nickname, changing the logo. It never happened until, again, financial sponsors came and basically forced the issue and took away money if the name wasn't changed. Such are some of the off-field issues that have brought down the Washington club and brought down the NFL because of what Daniel Snyder has done. Let's look at it on the field, right? Because the NFL, as we know, is the ultimate win business. If you win, everything else can be looked upon. If you're a player, you have all field issues. Well, if you're good on the field, if you produce on Sundays, I will deal with the distractions. We'll deal with the off the field issues. If you're an owner or coach, same thing. We will put up with a lot of nonsense. We'll put up a lot of garbage. If on Sundays, you are winning games, you're winning championships, you're winning divisions, and you're going to the playoffs. So sure, a lot of these off-field issues, but guess what? I'm sure, because he's been in charge for this long, the product on the field has to justify the off-field issues. But that's not the case. 21 seasons now, as owner, again, going back to 1999, Washington has had six winning seasons out of 21. Six winning seasons out of 21. Their last playoff win, go back to the 2005 season, they won a wild card game over the Buccaneers, 17-10. So we haven't had a playoff win in 15 years had a total of six winning seasons in 21 years. And the most damning, the most alarming, and the biggest reason why the NFL owners and Roger Goodell should seriously look into forcing Daniel Snyder out as owner of Washington is because, guess what? The money is hurting. Apathy from fans is real. It is setting in. And Redskins fans are tuning out, not going to games, and basically have stopped caring, which is the most dangerous thing If you're the NFL, if you're an owner of a team, the most dangerous thing you can do is turn your fan base off so much that they stop caring. You can get them angry. You can get them upset. You can get them frustrated. That's okay because guess what? 
they, that means they still care. They'll still watch the games. They'll still pay for parking. They'll still pay for tickets. They'll still pay for merchandise. And they still are invested in the team. When apathy sets in, when these fans don't care anymore, or they are so frustrated that, they, that their best option, their only option, is to just basically give up the team and stop caring, that's when you're in big trouble. Now, according to Forbes, the Redskins have seen a 31% drop in average attendance over the past decade. 10% higher than the next closest team, which is the Bengals. So think about that. Over the last decade, their average attendance has dropped 30%. Back in 2018, Washington was the only team to fail to fill three-quarters of the stadium once. So eight home games, now one time, was three-quarters of their stadium filled. The only team to do so. Think about that. The Jaguars did it. The Raiders did it. Plenty of teams that we see struggle. The Chargers did it. Despite the fact there was other fans, they still did it. So a lot of these teams that struggle to get a foothold in the marketplace, a lot of teams that struggle just to win and that way drive fans away, Washington was the only team in 2018 to fail to fill up three-quarters of the stadium for just one game. And not to mention, while other teams are expanding their capacity, while other teams are expanding the stadiums, the Redskins are doing the opposite. FedEx Field is shrinking. As we know, when Daniel Snyder bought the team, they had 91,000 seats put in in FedEx Field. Over that 20 years, it shrunk almost 10,000 to 82,000. So instead of expanding the brand, instead of filling more seats, they are shrinking capacity and have cut down almost 10,000 seats because fans aren't going to the games. They don't want it to make it look worse than it really is on TV. So in that 20-year tenure, 21-year tenure of Daniel Snyder owning the team, they've reduced capacity, not expanded it. Not to mention the TV ratings have fallen. So fans have just tuned out. They are so frustrated, they are literally giving up and not watching the team anymore. Which, you know what that means? Less money, which really, when it hurts the bottom line, that's what really gets owners' attentions. That's what gets Roger, Roger Goodell's attention. So I ask you, we, we talk about the off-field issues, we talk about the on-field issues, and more importantly, the apathy that's setting in from fans. What has he done to justify the team? Why should Roger Goodell, or any of the other 31 owners, back Daniel Snyder up, want him to stay around and want him to be one of the 32 owners of an NFL franchise. Because guess what? He has done nothing to elevate the brand. And we, all, we always hear about protecting the shield, right? That is Roger Goodell's main goal as commissioner, protect the shield. Well, Daniel Snyder has only caused the league more headaches. He's driven fans away, not brought them in. And he's done anything but protect the shield. At what point do you just cut bait? At what point do you say enough is enough? He's bringing nothing to the table. If anything, he's only making our problems worse. The biggest motivation, the biggest factor in owning a team is money. How can we get as much money as possible? And the Redskins are struggling to do that because their fans have just tuned out. So you've got to think, if Daniel Snyder is forced out, if the owners vote to kick Daniel Snyder out, strip him of, of the Washington team, and bring a new owner in, don't forget, there is a national fan base for this team. There is storied history with this team. They are one of the original teams back in 1932. They've been around a very long time. So it's an iconic franchise that would be way better off with a competent owner that brings fans in instead of driving them away, unifies fans instead of dividing them, and brings some respect to the name. 
But you look at being an owner, it's not a right to own a team. It's a privilege. If you can't live up to that privilege, if you can't pull your own weight, I don't understand why owners don't do this more. Why not vote someone out that's not doing their job or bringing you down or bringing the league down? The NFL is in the money-making business. And right now, the Redskins, because of their name, that's offensive by many, because of the latest story about the sexual harassment throughout the building by many staffers, because the other incompetence on the field, off the field, and because Daniel Snyder has done the rare job as a sports owner where he has literally turned fans off. He's driven them away. Because of all this, I don't understand why any owner would still want him to be a part of their club. I don't see it. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe you can help me out. But I'm curious your thoughts. Should Daniel Snyder be forced to sell Washington? Should the NFL owners get together, get a vote, and vote him out, strip him of the team, and bring a new owner in? We saw what happened, although it was a little different situation in Carolina with Jerry Richardson. He had allegations of a hostile work environment coming against him, some direct allegations towards him. He decides to sell the team. David Tepper buys it. And now a new wave is coming in Carolina. A rich man has bought the team. David Tepper so far seems like a, a, a new mind. He has the best intentions of the NFL set first. And so far, at least, won't bring any drama or won't bring the NFL down. I think the same thing could happen in Washington. I think the team could go for a massive haul. I think whoever comes in and owns the team next will elevate the franchise. Because all Daniel Snyder has done is tore it down. He has hurt a nationally recognized, a national fan base, and he has really dragged the Washington team through the mud. So if I'm any owner, if I'm the owner of the Colts, if I'm the owner of the Chargers, if I'm the owner of the Bears, I am voting and I am imploring Roger Goodell to implement a vote, and I am voting to kick Daniel Snyder out of the NFL. So let's get your thoughts. Should Daniel Snyder be forced to sell the team? The latest Washington Post story that, happened, that dropped on Wednesday detailed sexual harassment against 15 former female employees, none of which, again, directed any um, direct allegations towards Daniel Snyder, but it was just more of a culture that he's built there. A lot of his people in the inner circle were the ones doing the harassment. To me, it's just enough. The story itself isn't to the point where he should sell, but you look at the summation, the two-decade run that he's had as owner of Washington. To me, it doesn't add up as to why he's still allowed to own the team. Tell me your thoughts. Should Daniel Snyder be forced to sell? Should the owners of the NFL strip Daniel Snyder of his team, kick him out, and bring someone else in because it's just been an absolute mess down there in the nation's capital. Nothing has gone right in the two decades that he's been owner. And for me, it's time to, for the NFL just to save their own brand, save their own ass. Get rid of a headache. Cut bait. So if I was an owner, I would definitely force Daniel Snyder out. I'd want him to be gone. Let's get your thoughts. Should the NFL force Daniel Snyder to sell the team? We'll get your thoughts, whether it's on Facebook, World at Sports Radio Network. If you want to tweet us, WWSRN underscore radio. WWSRN underscore radio. We'll read your tweets. We'll read your Facebook comments. And when we come back, we'll stick with the NFL. Dak Prescott and the Cowboys failed to get a long-term extension done on Wednesday, which means Dak Prescott will play one year and become a free agent again. To me. That signal to the end is near for the Dak Prescott era in Dallas. I'll explain why when the morning boys are right, he can return right here 
on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. Welcome into the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the Morning Boys of Ryan Key right here on this Monday morning. 30 minutes from now, while Alex Rodriguez is right, MLB needs a salary cap for multiple reasons. We'll discuss why that is, and we'll get into his comments. Just about an hour or so from now, a little less than that, we'll have 2020 or Apocalypse, the Elite Eight. The first round of the Elite Eight, the four versus five matchup, Lauren versus Lauren, Heschel versus Clark. We'll see who can punch their ticket and be the first to make it to the final four of 2020 or Apocalypse. We'll do that at 1020 Eastern or so, as we always do, and finish off the show. MLB, one aspect of watching these exhibition games over the weekend that drove me crazy, I think hopefully will change before the season actually starts. We'll tell you what that is. But we are talking NFL. We are talking specifically the Washington Football Club. Obviously, they have no name, in part because their owner was so steadfast, was so um, behind having... The, uh, the name Redskins for so long, it was very offensive to many. And finally, because of financial pressure, decided to change the name. We, will, we do not have the official name yet, but that's just one indictment of just the horrendous, horrendous ownership that Daniel Snyder has been a part of in Washington. For me, it's enough to sell the team. Roger Goodell's commissioner has the ability to push a vote, and the owners, the 32 owners of the NFL, have ability to vote out and strip Daniel Snyder of the team if 24 of the 32 say yes. I think they absolutely should push for that vote. I think it's enough for what he's done. He has taken down the league. He has taken down the NFL, provided nothing for them. If anything, has only provided headaches, has given them nothing of a positive, and has had issues off the field, has issues on the field, and more importantly, as we know, the NFL is about the bottom line. The NFL is all about the money. If it makes dollars, it makes sense in their mind. right? It's a business more than really any other sport, or for the most part, the NFL is not shy, I should say, about putting money first over anything else. But it's not like Daniel Snyder is bringing any money. The, the Redskins have a national fan base. They have a big, they have a huge following across the country. And he's done nothing so far to capitalize on that. If anything, he's driving fans away. Fans have literally turned apathetic. TV ratings are falling. Attendance is, is plummeting. And he has completely turned the fans off to the point where they don't even watch the team anymore. So I, I ask you, what reason, what is the absolute reason what, of any, should Roger Goodell, should any of the 31 owners defend and back Daniel Snyder for keeping him around and letting him on the team? I don't get it. Matthew Essig, a D.C. man himself, I believe, has said Snyder's ruined the team. My girl Justine, what's up Justine, says Washington needs a clean slate starting with the big guys at the top. She is totally right. As we know, it all starts on the top. So many of these franchises we see have struggled to win, have really struggled to get out of their own way. There's one common theme with that. They can change the coach, they can change the players, they can change the front office. If it starts on the top, Nothing will truly change until that person at the top who sets the culture, who hires the people. Until he's gone, nothing will truly change. Look at the Knicks with James Dolan. They have fired how many coaches under James Dolan's ownership? They have fired how many executives, how many front office members, how many general managers, how many players? 
that they tried to bring in and have failed to do so. And after how many coaching, you know, fires and mistakes, after how many general manager and president swing and misses, how many times do you keep, you know, going around looking at Knicks, oh, they're just one player away, they're one coach away, this is going to be the difference. The difference will be once James Dolan's out. Look at any, any team with bad ownership. It doesn't matter who's below them. You can only overcome so much before the guy at the top gets too overwhelmed to succeed. Justine is right. They need to start cleaning slate, and that's at the top, and that is at the very, very top, starting with owner Daniel Snyder. DJ Simone, uh, CJ Simone, excuse me, big fan of the World Art Sports Network writes, Daniel Snyder is the Mr. Magoo of football by saying that he knew nothing what was going on, completely unacceptable. CJ is correct, especially specifically with Daniel Snyder. If you look at any of the issues I brought up, off the field, on the field, the one common theme with Daniel Snyder's ownership uh, of Washington for these last two decades is a blame culture, and the blame culture is everyone but himself. He's blamed head coaches. He's blamed general managers. He's blamed presidents. He's blamed players. Everyone but himself. The buck stops everywhere but him. And again, you wonder why the Redskins have struggled for two decades to get out of their own way. It's because the guy at the top continues to implement a culture that is not successful. You can't overcome that. I'm sorry. So, yeah, all of you writing in are totally correct. CJ, Justine, it all starts from the top. Which is why I don't understand why any owner of the other 31 teams would want Dana Snyder to be a part of their group. Think about it. There's only 32 NFL owners in the entire world. That's it. It is a massive, massive privilege and a massive undertaking to direct one of these big franchises that bring in a ton of money. And as we know, this is a game and this is a league where the money is king and every year profits try to grow on top of each other. What has Daniel Snyder done to increase those profits? To be an ally of the league. To bring something productive. Like, right, like we all have those friends in our, in our friend group, right? Where, you know, maybe if we go out drinking, they're always a little, you know, they're always the ones that kind of you have to keep an eye on. Or maybe if they have a short temper, you know, sometimes you have to be careful around it. But for the most part, they bring redeeming qualities that you keep them around. If a friend bought nothing, if you have six friends, a group of six friends, and there was that one friend who literally brought nothing to the table. Anytime they went out their wet blanket, anytime you guys wanted to hang out, there was always some sort of drama. Anytime you're having a good time, they, they ruin it. And they, again, they brought nothing to the table. They gave you no reason to be friends with them. After a while, wouldn't you say, forget this? We all have our flaws, don't get me wrong. But for the most part, with those flaws also come some redeeming qualities, some positives, some contributions you bring to the group. Maybe you're funny. Maybe you're a good time. Maybe you're a great cook. Maybe you have whatever. Any, any sort of qualities that other people like to be around. That's why you're friends with someone. So Daniel Snyder, to me, if we were in a friend group and Daniel Snyder was in it, I look at him as the dead weight, the guy who brings nothing. He brings the drama. He's not a good time when you're out. He only brings bad publicity to the group. And he's contributing nothing. And not to mention, you're always cleaning up for his mistakes. So how can you want him to be part of your group, your exclusive club, if here's a guy who's bringing literally nothing to the table.
no positives. I, I can't think. I try to think. Because we talked about all the negatives on the field, talked about the negatives off the field. I don't really know of one positive he's done to help the Redskins or help the NFL or help any of the 31 other owners. The best thing Daniel Snyder is going for him, honestly, is that he doesn't have the worst owner in sports tag next to him because James Dolan has that. If James Dolan ever sold the Knicks or the NBA ever forced James Dolan to sell the Knicks, that would put Daniel Snyder right at the front of the line for the worst owner. Now he'll get an even, another tag that's not a positive for the NFL. So to me, it doesn't make any sense why any owner would defend Daniel Snyder, would want to keep him around, or vote no if a vote came, would, should Daniel Snyder sell the team? Like I said, it's a privilege, not a right to own a team. So with that, if you're not upholding and you're not pulling your own weight, if you're not contributing, why should you be allowed to have the team? So get your thoughts again. I appreciate the comments on Facebook. We'll keep them reading, keep them coming, because um, you guys brought a lot of great points. Um, so read those on Facebook. If you want to tweet us, WWSRN underscore radio. Uh, we'll read those as well. But we'll stick with football. So like I said, uh, going to break, the Dak Prescott era, to me, is ending in Dallas. It is The end is near soon. And that was really cemented last Wednesday, which was the final day that the Cowboys and Dak Prescott could negotiate a long-term deal. Remember, um, the Cowboys placed a franchise tag on Dak Prescott, and they had up until July 15th. They want to work out a long-term deal. That was the last day they could possibly have to hammer out a deal. If not, that means Dak Prescott will play on a one-year contract in 2020 and then become a free agent again in 2021. No deal is done. A long-term contract was not agreed to, and now Dak will play 2020 for $31.5 million, and then we'll do the whole song and dance again in 2021. But this is why I view the end is near. The contract not getting done, if you remember going back to Monday's show, I highlighted why the Cowboys needed to get this long-term deal done more than Dak Prescott. It would wind up being cheaper for them. It would help them financially. It would help them also keep the core team together. Without a deal done, and with, again, this whole song and dance happening again this time next year, to me, the end is near for a few reasons. Number one, Dak only gets more expensive from here. So the price tag they're working with for this year was $31.5 million. How the franchise tag works is that it automatically goes up the next year. So if the Cowboys want to franchise tag him again, if they want to have him on a one-year contract again in 2021, that cost will now be $37.6 million, so just shy of $38 million. So he gets almost a $7 million raise from this year to next year. Now, why that's important is because basically that is the floor for any new contract negotiation, right? If you're negotiating a contract and you're guaranteed to have this salary for one year, you're not going to negotiate, you're not going to negotiate a salary with your boss that pays you less than what you're supposed to be guaranteed for one year, right? So now you look at that $37.6 million price tag for 2021, Dak is not going to negotiate a contract where he's going to get less than $37 million next year. So all of a sudden now, when the Cowboys were negotiating that $31.5 million was basically the floor or the lowest they could possibly go for a year. Now that increases to $37 million a year starting next year. So not only does it get more expensive and the floor raises from one year to the next, the salary cap is going to get even harder to maneuver now starting next year because of the pandemic. So the thing I've been reading, the players and the owners both don't want, they, first of all, they expect a revenue dip. Obviously, you're not going to have full stadiums if you have fans at all. 
So revenue is going to take a hit in this 2020 season because of the pandemic, and that's assuming they start and finish the season. They could be catastrophic because if they can't start or, or aren't able to finish the season, what, what the revenue is going to look like. But both the players and the owners agree that they do not want a major dip in the salary cap. So they agree they'll, they'll smooth out the losses over a longer period of time. So which means the salary cap at the absolute best will remain the same in 2020 that it is in 2021. So now, not only was it tough to get Dak Prescott under contract for this year, he's going to get more expensive next year or the salary cap doesn't go up, it stays the same. So now next year, you look at a percentage. That $37 million price tag is going to take up 19% of the salary cap. So think about it, almost one-fifth, just shy of one-fifth of the entire salary cap for 53 men on the roster is going to be taken up by one player. That's not efficient. Not to mention the Cowboys have right now, because they love signing players to long-term deals. They have a lot of players locked up for next year. They only have about $20 million currently right now in cap space for 2021 season. So they don't even have enough money right now to pay Dak his salary for next year. So he gets more expensive, which makes it harder for Dallas to sign him and keep him. Not to mention, the contract that the Cowboys and Dak Prescott want to sign to, it only gets shorter from here. So remember, the biggest contention point was not the money between the Cowboys and Dak Prescott. It was the years. Cowboys won a longer-term deal. They started with eight years, and they finally worked their way to they were comfortable and wanted a five-year deal. Dak Prescott, at most, wanted a four-year deal, and both sides were dead set on the years. Dak was not going to go above four. The Cowboys were not going to go below five. Well, guess what? A deal not getting done this year, getting one year later, doesn't automatically change Dak Prescott's preference for a short-term deal. He wants to get back on the market quick because he knows in two or three years when the regular season gets extended from 16 games to 17 games when the TV contracts are up. So that means a lot more money is going to come into the NFL because now all these TV networks that are renewing their contracts with the NFL, well, that price has only gone up because the NFL continues to skyrocket in ratings and popularity. There's going to be a ton of cash, a ton of money that's going to infiltrate the NFL. The salary cap is going to skyrocket two, three, four years. Well, Dak wants to be a free agent when that money is at its highest. So he still wants a short-term deal. Next year, he's not going to all of a sudden be down for a six, seven, eight-year contract. So if anything, he's going to shorten his demands from a four-year contract to a three-year contract, which means he's more likely to go the Kirk Cousins route, what he did with the Vikings. He signed a three-year deal, short deal, but the money was all guaranteed. So if the Cowboys didn't want to do a four-year deal this year, why would they have any preference to do a three-year deal next year? Or a four-year deal with an even bigger salary next year than it was supposed to be this year. To me, it all adds up as the beginning of the end for Dak Prescott in Dallas. I think this 2020 season is going to be the last time we see Dak Prescott in the Cowboys uniform. Because this was the year to get him to a long-term deal. This was the year the Cowboys had to give the money Dak wants, let him become a free agent in four years again, and reassess your quarter acquisition from there. They didn't want to do it. They were uncomfortable with a short contract, and that is not going to change. If anything, that's only going to get shorter. Dak wants to cash in big time when the most money is in the NFL, when the revenue is at its highest. So each year that passes, 
it's only going to get a shorter contract, and it's only going to get more expensive. And if the Cowboys weren't able to do so now, if they didn't want to pay him the big bucks this year, they're not going to pay it to him next year. They're, I'm sorry, there's no way. This was the year. Jerry Jones is a businessman. I think he realizes what happens the longer they wait, the more expensive he gets. And not to mention, we look at the Patrick Mahomes deal. The longer the Cowboys wait, not only does the price tag go up because the franchise tag expa- uh, goes up and the years get shorter in Dak's mind, other quarterbacks are going to get paid and reset the market. If Lamar Jackson has another great MVP-type year, he's going to get paid by the, by the Ravens. Deshaun Watson is on track to get paid by the Texans. We'll see what Baker Mayfield does. He's not going to reset the market. But if he has a nice year at the Browns, he could get paid. And guess what? The more quarterbacks that get paid, the more expensive it is for the Cowboys to lock up Dak Prescott. So it's me because the deal was not done. Because the years were fought over and not agreed upon. So he only gets more expensive from here. I think the Dak Prescott era in Dallas is ending, and it is done. 2020 will be the last year you see Dak Prescott in the teal pants with a star on his helmet. And with Mike McCarthy, with most of that team locked up, they're going to have to find whether it's Andy Dalton, whether it's a quarterback in the draft, whether it's a trade or a free agent that they want at the end of the year. They're going to have to find a new outlet, a new quarterback for 2021, because it's not going to be Dak Prescott. So I'm curious. Long-term deal wasn't done. Dak Prescott will play on a one-year contract and become a free agent again in 2021. Well, this season, if it's played, will 2020 be the last season for Dak Prescott in the Cowboys uniform? I'd love to get your thoughts. Because I think it's, you would think, yeah, you think no. But the more you think about it, the more you think of the financials, the more you think of the motivations for each side. I think yes, I think this is it. I think the end is near. 2020 is the last season for Dak Prescott in Dallas. We'll get your thoughts again on Facebook, World Art Sports Network. If you want to tweet us, WWSRN underscore radio. If you're listening on the app, first of all, shout out. Appreciate you downloading it. If you haven't downloaded the app yet, I don't know what you're waiting for. You miss out on all the great content. It's all, everything is accessible in one easy place. Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android. If you type that into your uh, Android app store. Or if you have an iPhone on iOS, WWSRN. WWSRN in that app store. Download the app. If you're listening or watching through there on Twitch, write in. We'll read your comments through the app. Uh, read your comments through Facebook, through Twitter. Anywhere you want to reach out, we will get you on the air and get your comments heard. It's Dak Prescott. It's 2020, the last season for Dak Prescott in Dallas. We'll get your thoughts when we come back. And finally... At least to finish up this first hour here, why the NFL cannot continue business as usual. They've done so for the entire offseason, why it has to stop, and they actually have to start adjusting and accepting the virus. We'll get to that when the morning boys run can return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. Radio Network. It, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. <laughs> On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. An NFL heavy start to this Monday morning on this July 20th as we get rolling here until 11 a.m. on the East Coast. Every Monday and Thursday, that is the Morning Boys of Rydicky right here, exclusively on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I think the end is near for Dak Prescott in Dallas. The financials don't line up. 
the amount of years don't line up. And without being able to get a long-term deal done this past Wednesday, I think it all but cements Dak Prescott is in his final year in Dallas, and he will be the quarterback of a different franchise in 2021. Uh, there are plenty of possibilities out there. We'll, we'll see where he ends up landing. But I think it's the beginning of the end, and I just I find it extremely hard now for the Cowboys to keep their quarterback, keep their franchise quarterback. Because um, also, you got to think from a human perspective, right? Let's look at it from the Kirk Cousins perspective because he was the only quarterback so far to actually have done, play the franchise tag. He actually did it twice, played two years in a row on the franchise tag down in Washington before he cashed in on a, uh, a big-time contract with the Vikings. He wanted to stay in Washington. That's part of the reason why he took the deal two years in a row. He wanted to be a member. He wanted to be there long-term. And his camp said after the second time they were franchise tagged, because the team was still unsure of what they had if they wanted to commit to him long-term, he was hurt. He was frustrated. And because they didn't believe in him, he said, you know what? I'm out of here. I wonder if the same thing happens with Dak Prescott. This is a guy who says he wants to be in Dallas who has all the great pieces around him. Think about it. He has great wide receivers, a great offensive line, an elite running back room. From a quarterback perspective, he has every weapon possible you would want to have success. You have an offensive-minded head coach now with Mike McCarthy, who's more aggressive, you would think, than Jason Garrett. I mean, anyone's more aggressive than Jason Garrett. The recipe is there for success. But at the same time, when your employer, when your boss doesn't believe in you, doesn't have faith in you to commit to you long-term, at what point you say, you know what, I'm out of here. My feelings of loyalty, my feelings of wanting to stay here have subsided. Because you don't believe me, I'm going to go to someone who does and leaves. To me, that's what I think it could happen here with Dak Prescott in Dallas. And that's why I think 2020 will be the last year you'll see Dak Prescott in a Cowboys uniform. So if you have any thoughts, whether I'm crazy, whether you agree with me, World Art Sports Radio Network on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. It's WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. Or if you're on the app, WWSRN um, on iOS or Worldwide Sports Radio Network on Android. We'll get your thoughts and read those on the air as the show goes on again until 11 a.m. Eastern. But I do want to get to one more NFL topic here to uh, finish out this NFL-heavy first hour. And that is, for the longest time, right, since the pandemic started in March, I've applauded, I've backed up the NFL, and I've agreed with them when they have gone business as usual. Right before free agency was supposed to start was when the pandemic hit, when the coronavirus really took a stranglehold on this country and shut everything down. The NBA stopped in its tracks, Major League Baseball stopped, the NHL stopped, and sports as we know it stopped, except for the NFL. Free agency continued, although it was virtual. That came and went. Players were signed. New deals were struck. The draft came and went despite, you know, all of these visits that a lot of these prospects do to different teams were not allowed. It had to be over Zoom. The draft came and went. The draft was done virtually without really without an issue. And offseason workouts were, were done virtually. So for the most part, the NFL has not been affected too much uh, by the pandemic. But now that has to stop and has to start really today. Because after this point, after today, the NFL cannot continue business as usual anymore. And that's because the season starts. They need to change. They need to start putting some serious protocols in and start acknowledging the virus is going to be here for a while because so far they haven't done that. If you're on social media at all yesterday, you saw a lot of big-time prominent NFL players speaking out on social media, taking a page from MLB when a lot of prominent MLB players tweeted when and where 
when they are frustrated by the owners and they just wanted to play, their message on social media is when and where. The NFL's hashtag for a lot of these prominent players is we want to play. But the motivations and the frustrations are different. Major League Baseball was money, right? Their main focus was money. How can we get the financials in order so the players will get paid close to what they want and the owners will keep money as close as they want? Well, now for the NFL, it's completely opposite. The safety protocols, the testing policy, the offseason, uh, the, the training camp schedule uh, are all things that haven't been figured out yet. And that's why in social media Sunday, you saw a lot of big-time players. J.J. Watt, Patrick Mahomes, Drew Brees, Russell Wilson, Michael Thomas, any big-time athlete, any big-time player in the NFL that you know, any household name, was tweeting their frustrations about the lack of protocols that the NFL has implemented with training camp coming. And by the way, why is that important? Because guess what? Training camps, full teams are going to be at training camp a week from tomorrow. Think about that. A week from Tuesday, we'll have NFL teams practicing getting ready for the season. Even crazier to think, because rookies report before veterans do, and because the Texans and the Chiefs open up the uh, season on a Thursday night, they report earlier, their rookies, both the Texans and Chiefs rookies, report to training camp today. Today. Which seems just insane with Houston being the new epicenter of the coronavirus. With all these questions still unknown, think about it. Rookies reported for, to teams today. But with that happening, the NFL does not have a plan yet for testing protocol. We have, we have no clue how often that the NFL will test their players. How long, if there will be any acclimation period, because a lot of these players are frustrated because of, the, because of the inconvenience of the virus, because gyms were closed, because they weren't able to go to the NFL facility, training really took a big hit. Their normal off-season workouts in gyms, at the training facility, running with personal trainers have all been eliminated. So they want training camp to be a slow progression. They want it to basically where they have two or three weeks of strength and conditioning, slowly ramping up into your practice where you take it easy, you put helmets on, there's no contact early on, and basically ease your way into getting back into shape. So there's a debate of how long that period should last. There's so far no set number of preseason games. Think about that. We have no clue how many preseason games there's going to be, despite the fact that training camp technically starts today for the Texans and the Chiefs. Not to mention, there's no opt-out plan yet for players at risk. So we have all these major questions about how the NFL will adjust to the virus, how will they keep their players safe, but at the same time, they still expect their players to report to camp and get practicing full teams next Tuesday. And the NFL has better get moving. They have to have questions answered quickly. They cannot just continue to basically ignore the virus and go business as usual, because guess what? If they do that, if they don't really change many protocols, if they don't really adjust their, their efforts and the way they go about their business to cater to the virus, to cater to keeping players safe, guess what? That's the quickest way to end the season. And the quickest way to shut it down is by not having proper precautions in place and putting your players at risk. So you can't fret over the cost of testing that's going to cost a lot of money, especially the players want to get tested every day, and I can't blame them. you got to know every single day who is sick and who's not because in a sport that social distancing is impossible, especially when you're on the offensive line, you are 
inches away from big men breathing heavily 50, 60, 70 times a game. If you don't know every single day who's sick and who's not, you're going to lose tons of money because the season won't be completed. So the NFL, more than the NBA, because there's more players and there's more contact, more than Major League Baseball, because baseball is the only social distance sport out of the big, out of the major ones, more than hockey, the NFL has to spend the most time, the most effort, the most money to keeping their players safe. Because we heard from doctors, as we see just from common sense, the game of football is the ultimate spreader. It is a super spreader among players, and it is the ultimate breeding ground for the virus to take hold and spread throughout an entire team or multiple teams. I mean, let's just look around quickly about other major sports leagues have done so far to try to keep their players as safe from the virus as possible. The NBA created the closest possible thing they could to a bubble for their 22 teams, and still there's a lot of concern, a lot of worry from the NBA about this plan working. They did the closest thing possible to a bubble, and there's still concern that this may not work. Magic Baseball, again, they are the most socially distant sport, have taken extra social, distancing, extra social distancing precautions, excuse me, spreading players out in the dugout, putting players in the stands, banning high fives, wearing a mask basically anytime you're not on the field. They're going to be interesting because they're going to be still traveling like it's a normal season, where the NBA and the NHL have either hub cities or a bubble. But Major League Baseball is trying to do their best to prevent the spreading within the players during the game. And the NFL right now has no answers. They have no plan. It's, I mean, you look at the, the, the calendar, it's too late to create a bubble. So while the bubble will be the safest possible plan for the NFL, it's too late for that. So they have to be overly, overly cautious. I think it's very imperative and smart for them to cater to a lot of these players' demands. Do daily testing, because really, there's no excuse for anything less. Football especially, there's no excuse why you should not be testing every single day. Because guess what? If you allow even one player on the practice field or on the game field that is asymptomatic, that is positive, but we don't know yet because the testing is not done frequently enough, that virus is going to spread. It's going to spread quickly. And it could easily take down the league. They need a longer acclimation period for players because they have to slowly ramp up to prevent injuries. If you just go right into training camp like normal, if you go right to where you, know, you, you practice for a few days in helmets and all of a sudden you know, you're putting the pads on a week into training camp, you know how many injuries are going to happen? You're not going to have a season because two players are going to be injured, forget from the virus, just from common injuries because they're not ready. They're not in shape because they haven't had the proper equipment. They haven't had the proper training to be in shape compared to normal years. And while the NFLPA, the Player Association, does not want any preseason games, I think it would be smart for the NFL to have two preseason games. Every team gets a home game. Every team gets an away game. So you can practice protocols for traveling. Because there's going to have to be some major hurdles to jump through here to get a team to travel to a game, get them there safely, get them to the stadium safely, get them home safely. And if you're hosting a game, Forget even just you know fans for a second, because if you want fans in the stands, you have to you have to practice. Figure out some sort of plan where you can socially distance the fans in the stands and not have them get sick. But forget that for a second. You have to practice having a home game where you can put as many different protocols in as possible to keep the players safe. 
So safety more than ever, more than money, more than outcomes, has to be the main priority for the NFL if they want to have a, if they want to even have a chance at finishing the season. And if they finish the season, that'll allow for the most revenue to be earned as possible. We saw all these big-time players, all these big-time names tweeting their frustrations about the NFL, about the lack of safety protocols. Todd Gurley, to me, said it best, summed it up perfectly. You need healthy players if you want to play football. The NFL has to go over the top, over, be overly cautious in putting as many protocols in place to keep players safe because guess what? They don't do that. The season's dead before it even starts. So I'm curious, what is your confidence level that football can get off the ground and successfully have a season? The NFL has plowed through. The NFL has the mindset they're going to start and finish the season. They have no reason to think otherwise. But there are some concerns when you look at, you know, the lack of preparedness so far. There's a lot of questions raised that, you know, give you a little anxiety about the season, if it could get done or not. So I want to know your confidence level. Say one out of ten. Scale one to ten. What's your confidence level right now that football can not only get off the ground and start, but successfully have a season? I'm at a five right now. 50-50. If that, maybe even a four. Because a lot of these questions about testing protocol, about acclimation periods, about opt-out plans. I, I hope the, the NFL wasn't just sitting on their butts for three or four months expecting the virus to pass by the time the season was supposed to start and now are unprepared. I really, really hope that's not the case because if that is true, football has no chance of having a successful season this year and will not get started. Or I should say will not finish, excuse me. So let's get your thoughts. Scale 1 to 10, what is your confidence level and that the NFL can get off the ground, start the season, and have a successful year? We'll get your thoughts when we come back. And when we come back, start the second hour of the show, why A-Rod is right. Major League Baseball needs a sour cap. I'll explain why it's good for the players in the long run and good for the game. When the morning boys are riding, you return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it, it's time to wake up with the morning boys. On Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. In just about 15 minutes or so, as we are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, 2020 Apocalypse, the Elite Eight. We have reached the Elite Eight in the first round of the Elite Eight. Lauren versus Lauren, four seed versus five seed, with guaranteeing at least we'll have a Lauren in the final four. We'll see which Lauren it is as they try to punch their ticket in and become the first member of the 2020 Apocalypse final four. We'll do that in about 15 minutes or so and end the show as a lot of exhibition baseball has been played over the weekend. Um, very cool to get a, you know, a taste of baseball and what it's going to be in the regular season. There's one aspect that drove me crazy that I absolutely hated. I'll tell you what that is at 1040 to end the show. But we'll stick with baseball here. Because Alex Rodriguez, always in the news, right? This guy is just one of those guys, Mr. Popular. He always says something that's newsworthy. He's dating J-Lo. So whether it's you know, the paparazzi, whether it's something he said, he's always on Sunday Night Baseball with ESPN. He's big now. He's a big name uh, and voice in baseball. A-Rod is always a prominent voice, so what he says carries a lot of weight. And also now, A-Rod is added to that by putting in a bid to buy the New York Mets. 
And it's interesting because now, you know, with that bid, I think even more attention has been paid to what A-Rod says. Um, and we view it now from the lens of potential owner. And I, I want to bring this up because A-Rod was on a conference call last week for Sunday Night Baseball. Again, the season going. as a little primer, you know, answer some questions, get his thoughts on the upcoming season, as well as answer some questions about, you know, the state of the game. And he brought up the fact that right now baseball is struggling, right? As we know, the NFL is king. The NFL unless they self-sabotage themselves, will always be king. But the NBA is rising up and has taken a stranglehold on that number two position behind the NFL. NFL one, the NBA is firmly in two. And then far below them are the MLB and NHL at three and four. And A-Rod was talking about just the state of the game. How can they get back to level? Because remember, when A-Rod was playing, baseball was king. Baseball was the NFL. Baseball was America's pastime. This was the game that we all loved, the game that we paid attention to the most. And obviously that has been um, surpassed. And right now the NFL and NBA have surged, surged past Major League Baseball in terms of popularity, in terms of viewership, social media um, presence. So here we're talking about how Major League Baseball and the players could work together to get baseball back into a spot, back into the, the limelight per se, and get back on the national relevancy meter to where fans are talking and paying attention to and caring about baseball again. And one of his suggestions he talked about was essentially implementing some sort of salary cap. This is what Eri had to say on his thoughts when he thought, or his thoughts, I should say, about how baseball, the players, and the, and the owners can work together to get baseball back up to the national relevancy that it should be, that it was used to be. He said, quote, The only way it's going to happen is if they get on the table and say the number one goal, let's get from $10 billion to $15 billion in revenue, and then we'll split the economics evenly. That's a type of conversation instead of fighting and fighting against each other because there's too much competition out there right now, end quote. So A-Rod, basically by saying you put the owners and you put the players, you pull them together, all the revenue that comes in, you split it down the middle, the owners get half, the players get half, it's essentially a salary cap, right? So if we use A-Rod's example, $10 billion, you split that down the middle, the owners get five, the players get five, and that $5 billion is divvied up by all the players making the most money. So to me, it's, a, it's an idea that players would absolutely say no to. It seems very hypocritical to have this come from someone who has benefited the most by a free market, who has benefited the most by not having a salary cap and basically getting as much money as a team is willing to pay without a penalty. Alex Rodriguez made the most money in baseball history as a player. So I get why it seems hypocritical that all of a sudden now you have someone who made the most money, who profited the most from having a free market, from having no salary cap, is now, from this pers- uh, perspective of an owner, all of a sudden wants a salary cap. But to me, I think A-Rod's right. I would go one step further. On top of a salary cap, there also, be a sal- there also has to be excuse me, a salary floor as well. So salary cap and salary floor. If those two are implemented, if Major League Baseball Players Association agree to this, Here's why I think it would be beneficial for both the game and the players. Number one, skating the game helps push creativity. As we know, and as we just mentioned, as A-Rod pointed out, the NFL and the NBA, part of the reason why they have soared past baseball in popularity, in relevancy, in viewership, is because they were able to capture the social media space. Their digital platform is growing. Their social media presence is massive. Guess who's been awful about that? Guess who's been so far behind the times? can't get out of their own way and can't market themselves to the younger audience because they just don't know how to figure out social media. They have a major league baseball. 
So now, at least, if you put the players and basically have them be part of the game, have their livelihood, have their money affected by the revenue, which in part comes to social media, which comes in part by growing the game through social media and digital platforms, it forces everyone now to think of all different ideas how to monetize social media. It gets the best ideas coming forward. And now you also tap into a demographic of the players who are young, who are in their 20s, who are, some of them are in their teens. They know the digital and social media space better than the owners who are 60, 70, 80 years old, most of them out of touch with social media. Now at least you, you are forcing the players who know the social media space the most and have a little skin in the game for them to try to improve MLB's social media footprint. Marketing, I think, would improve because of this. And the motivation on all sides to get as much money as possible, I think, would be a positive when it comes to doing as much possible to grow the game, and that's through social media. So I think skinning the game by both parties helps because it, gets, it promotes creativity and it motivates everyone to think of the best ideas possible to grow the game as much as possible. Not to mention, you have a salary cap, you have a salary floor. For the game itself, it provides more, ca- uh, provides more parity, excuse me. It helps to level the playing fields so that the richest teams aren't the ones signing all the big-time free agents every year. And the more teams that are able to sign some big names, the more spreading out of talent across the 30 teams means more teams are competitive, which in turn equals more viewers for a longer portion of the season. If you're a Marlins fan, Orioles, Royals, Pirates, let's be honest, outside of opening day, you have no reason to tune in Detroit Tigers, throw them in there as well. Those teams are going to be awful. They really put no money into the team. There's no player on that team that you want to watch. So outside of opening day, outside of the excitement that baseball is back, you're going to want to watch a team that's going to lose 100 or more games? Who's going to be awful? Who puts no effort into the team? Puts no money into the team to try to win? I wouldn't. I'd be frustrated. So now, if you put a salary floor in, on a salary cap, it provides more parity, and maybe now one of these teams will be able to afford a big-time player, and now it gives fans more reason to watch. Now, as you know, more viewers equals more dollars. So it, allow, it forces everyone to be creative. It provides more parity. Not to mention, I know it sounds counterintuitive. Majority of the Major League Baseball players will benefit from this. Here's an example. So currently right now, the major, oh, I'm sorry, the average Major League Baseball salary for just an average player, right? The average salary for a player this year is $4.4 million. Sounds legit. Okay. You're an average player. The average salary is just about $4.5 million. The reason why this is concerning, because this is the fifth consecutive season that MLB's salary average has stayed the same. It hasn't increased. It has stayed flat at 4.4 just about for five straight seasons. But let's not forget. We talked about this when we were talking about, you know, a few months ago with the owners versus the players on why the players shouldn't take a second pay cut. Revenues continue to go up. So despite MLB breaking records for revenue year after year after year for 17 consecutive years, the average MLB salary didn't go up. So owners are getting more money and they're pocketing more money instead of putting it back into the team. Not to mention... If you're a free agent, if you're a veteran free agent, and you're not the elite of the elite, the 1% of the, the 1%, you're not a Mookie Betts, a Bryce Harper, a Manny Machado, an Anthony Rendon, 
free agency has gotten to a point where you don't want to go. It's a place that's scary for most veterans. You do not want to be a free agent. Because guess what? Many teams do not pay what you're worth. Many teams will rather pay cheap labor that probably is worse than you than pay you what you are actually do, what you're actually worth. So now players, they want to play are forced to take pay cuts or are forced to take deals that aren't worth, aren't up to their value. And frequency has almost gotten to a, a bleak point to where players are just grateful to be able to sign with the team. doesn't matter what the money's going to be. So you implement a salary floor. I think that will help a lot of these players once they get to free agency to force teams to pay. And now if the revenues continue to increase, it should increase and bring up the average MLB salary, which most players are making or making below that. So it will increase overall salaries. It will hurt the 1% of the 1%. But other than that, it will help the majority of the Major League Baseball players. And finally, speaking of forcing teams to spend money, the salary floor will do such thing. Let me look at. Let me tell you the difference in payrolls last year. Between the highest and lowest, 2019, the Red Sox had the highest payroll in baseball. They spent 229 million dollars on players last year. In the same division, the Tampa Bay Rays were the lowest payroll of 2019. You know what they paid their players last year? 64 million dollars. So you had a 165 million dollar gap between the highest spender and the lowest spender just last year alone. So all those bad teams I mentioned, the Rays, the Pirates, the Orioles, the Marlins, the Tigers, they have grossly low payrolls, don't try to win, and instead all the money they get from revenue sharing, they put in their pockets. Like I said, the revenues continue to go up, but the money doesn't go into the team. The average salary stays the same. So now with teams at the bottom forced to spend, well, you can't have a $64 million payroll. You can't pay pennies on the dollar for every single play on your roster. A salary floor will force teams at the bottom to spend money, which means players on that team will get higher salaries, free agents will get signed more often, and it'll benefit a majority of the players. So to me, I think A-Rod's totally right. A salary cap, and also paired with a salary floor, will help grow the game, it will push for parity, the majority of the players will benefit from it, and it will force teams to spend more money. So I understand and I see why A-Rod got a lot of pushback because it's very hypocritical of him to benefit from a free market and then now as an owner or trying to be an owner, I should say, is pushing back and said, oh, we need a salary cap. We need to limit player salaries. It sounds hypocritical, I get it. When you think about it, when you look at it from the majority of players' perspectives, not just the, the elite of the elite, where Mookie Betts maybe can't get a $450 million contract now, a salary cap, I think, would be a very good thing for baseball. I think it would help the majority of the players. It would bring parity, and I think it would help to grow the sport overall. So I'm in favor of it. I'm definitely in favor. I think A-Rod is correct. Bring a salary cap to baseball, I think, would be a good thing overall in the long run for the growth of the game and for the players. So I'm curious your thoughts. Do you think a salary cap is a good idea? Would it help improve the popularity of the sport? Maybe you could say the marketing is just on the teams. It's up to them. I think the players have to get involved as well. I think it would help improve the popularity of the sport. I think the players should absolutely agree to a salary cap. And in the end, it would be beneficial to a majority of the players, which is good for the game. So get your thoughts. Would a salary cap be good for the game? Would it help to improve the popularity of the sport? What are your thoughts on that? And when we return, 
the Elite Eight, Lauren versus Lauren, is the first round of the 2020 or Apocalypse playoffs. We'll do that when the morning boys run and give return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. We are back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It is the morning, boys. of Ryan Hickey right here on this Monday morning. It is 10-20. We have battled a very long way, a long regular season. We appreciate everyone that, that came in and tried. We had our two play-in rounds. We congratulate Rob. We congratulate Mike. They have both qualified and have, uh, have advanced to the Elite Eight. And now the field is set. We started with 20. We narrowed it down to 10. And now we are in the Elite Eight stage of the 2020 Orpocalypse with one Lauren, Lauren Heschel or Lauren Clark, punching their ticket to the 2020 Orpocalypse Final Four. And we'll see who gets it done this week as first contestant, the five seed, hailing from Maryland herself. The only thing better at 2020 Orpocalypse is her charcuterie boards. It is the great Lauren Clark. Lauren, welcome. <laughs> what an intro. What a nice plug, too. Good, it's good for business. Thanks, LC guys. Designs, NYC. Don't be afraid to follow. No, no. I know, Colleen just said, she's like, you know what, while you're out there, just plug the answer. I'm like, wow, great call. Great call. <laughs> platforms helping platforms. Lauren, welcome. You are the first contestant and another contestant also by the name of Lauren. So we have a guaranteed Lauren in the final four. A girl I know very well who's back at the head I stayed at for four straight years in homeroom. Heschel and Hickey very close together, so I know her well. It is the great Lauren Heschel. Lauren, what is up? Hey, thanks, Rye. I'm excited. I'm excited to verse another Lauren. <laughs> a big matchup. Lauren Heschel, a little extra pressure with the new boyfriend. Is he listening, Laura? I told him he's at work, so hopefully he's uh, listening. Okay, if not, you can tell <laughs> him you won no matter what. He'll, uh, he'll <laughs> probably cause some uh, chaos in paradise there if he's not listening. Oh, boy. But I guess the good news is, win or lose, you can tell him you won and he'll never know. That's true. <laughs> All right, ladies, we'll have some fun. So how the game works is obviously you two are on the line at the same time. Lauren Heschel is the four seed, so she will answer the first, third, and fifth questions first, and then Lauren Clark will follow. And then Lauren Clark, you will answer the second and fourth questions first with Heschel answering second. Highest score out of five wins, and if we have overtime, well, we have overtime, so we'll go there. Ladies, are you ready to roll 2020 Apocalypse Final Four on the line? Are you ready to go? We sure are. All right. <laughs> Didn't understand one word you said, but you both sound excited. So let's go. <laughs> let's get it going. Heschel, you will start on number one. A Harvard graduate was fired from her job at Deloitte after saying, quote, I'm going to stab you, end quote, to anyone that said all lives matter on a TikTok video. Is that 2020 or apocalypse? Oh, uh, mm, um, I'm going to say that's. 2020. You're saying that's real. A person was fired after a TikTok threat. Lauren Clark, the master of TikTok herself, a frequent <laughs> user, a frequent watcher. Is this true okay. or is it fake? I have a question. What did, sorry, I couldn't hear. What did she say? What did in the, what was her threat? She said, quote, I'm a stab you. Oh my gosh. Yeah, 2020. Why not? 
All right, so both of you are saying it's wild. it's real. Both of you would be correct. This is a real story. <laughs> she said no the thread on TikTok, and Deloitte found out, and they said, you're gone. So how about nice. that? TikTok, really, <laughs> kids, if you have a talk, don't say anything threatening. Let this be a lesson. <laughs> All right, so we are tied one-to-one -one after one. Clark, you're up first for this one. Number two, an Iowa police chief was suspended after he wrote on Facebook, quote, hit the gas and hang on over the road bumps, end quote, in reference to Black Lives Matter protesters. Um, oh, my gosh. My boss is calling me. That's great. Um, <laughs> your boss, tell your boss you're very busy. This is big time here. I'll call him back. Um, I'll say <laughs> 2020. You are saying it's real. Okay. Okay. I mean, I hope it's not, but it sounds, you know, this year's wild. Heschel, you heard Lauren's answer of it real. Was a police yeah. chief absolutely suspended on Facebook? Is this, or suspended from his job, excuse me, after comments on Facebook? True or false? After comments on Facebook. Um, I know I should probably go the other route of what Lauren said, but I want to say it's 2020 also. You both are going the same answer again, and you both would be correct. That is a real, real thing. So if you take a lesson, kids, if you're at home, Facebook and TikTok, do not post anything stupid on social media. Your bosses will find out. And for this police chief and as for that girl who worked at Deloitte, their, uh, their jobs find out. Look at it. They are paying the price for it. But who's not paying the price? So for you two, you both are two for two. You're the only one so far. We've done this two times. No one has gotten both questions right so far. So congratulations. We're batting a 1,000. Batting a 1,000. Heschel. Oh, yeah. Oh, boy. Well, you, you almost ruined that batting a thousand right there. Thank God you said it right. Heschel, you will go first for number three. Wyoming authorities, Wyoming, excuse me. Wyoming, we're going to start again. Number three, Heschel. <laughs> Wyoming authorities are still searching for a man and a stolen llama after the man broke into a farm, saddled up the llama like it was a horse, and rode off on the back of the animal, disappearing before police could arrive. Are a man oh. and a stolen llama at large in Wyoming, true or false? 2020 or apocalypse? Uh, I'm going to say true, 2020. All right, Heschel is going 2020. What say you, Lauren Clark? Um, yeah, I think I'm trying to think. Like, if you would come up with and say llama is like a quick animal that you think of that you could plug in here as fake news. But I do think it might be 2020. So both of you, three questions in a row, are going to have the same answer, both saying 2020. <laughs> you both would be incorrect. That is false. That is a made-up story. There's no man stealing llamas, riding them off like horses, and uh, evading police. That is not true. So all those llama farmers out there in Wyoming and Montana and whoever else has llama farms, breathe easy. This is not a, uh, this is not a true story, so no, no worries. <laughs> we <Okay>. are. <laughs> <laughs> we are deadlocked two apiece, going to question number four. Clark, you will go first. In Korea, their baseball league wasn't allowed to have fans in the stands, so to fill up the seats, the league decided to put stuffed animals in the seats to avoid the sight of empty stands. Is this 2020 or apocalypse? Um, I'm going to say 2020. All right, Clark is going to go 2020. Heschel, what are your thoughts? Um, I will finally... Go the other way and say false. It's the 
We have our first disagreement. A guaranteed one person <laughs> will be right, and that person will be Lauren Clark. This is real. Woo! Teams in Korea decided to put stuffed animals in the seats to avoid the sight of empty fans. And so those fans at home just got to look at some nice stuffed animals. How about that? Um, so now this is... Kind of cheery. What was that? Sorry? I said it's kind of cheery. And instead of looking at, like, empty seats, you got little teddy bears looking at you. Little Ted, that's it. That is that is it. I'm sure I really got the players uh, fired up as well, looking at those teddy bears, trying not to disappoint them with uh, with a bad pitcher, a bad at bat, or those teddy bears. They could be uh, pretty ruthless if uh, if they see some bad play. But now, Lauren Clark, you're up three to two with one question to go. So if you get it right or Heschel gets it wrong, you will advance to the final four. If Clark gets it wrong, Heschel gets it right. We will go to overtime. And Heschel, you will go first. Are you ready? Number five. Yes. To stay alive. School teachers in Ohio have banded together and advocated for reverse remote teaching, which is that the students would be in the classroom and the teachers would teach from home for the fall. Is that real 2020 or fake the apocalypse? Mm, I'm going to say apocalypse. That was. And... Oh, Clark, you went first. Okay. Sorry. Oh, Your was voices... I not supposed to? No, it's okay. Was I not supposed to? Well, it's supposed to be Lauren Hesher going first, but it's okay. <laughs> sorry, 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 sorry. That's okay. I'm going to say uh, true. No. I'm gonna say true. Wait, did you say 2020? Also? No, it's <laughs> an apocalypse. Okay, well, I'm going to say it's true, 2020. Okay, so Heschel is going 2020. <laughs> Clark is going apocalypse. Congratulations to Lauren Clark. She's going to the Final Four. It is made up. <laughs> It is fake. It is not true. There's no reverse remote teaching going on where, where Ohio teachers are banging together. That is not true. And with that, Lauren Clark, 4-2, to two, gets the big dub and advances to the Final Four. Lauren, how does it feel? Oof. I mean, you know, I'm glad I didn't go over. I really thought I was going to. But all I'll say is I did better than Colleen Hickey, so I'm happy about that. That is, that is true. Heschel, I can't lie. I was kind of rooting for you because the farther Lauren goes, the more I have to hear about it, yeah. the more she's going to brag about it. You look too, right? So <laughs> you, you kind of you kind of let me down, Heschel. I can't, you know, I can't lie here. You kind of screwed me. Yeah, I feel a little defeated, but congratulations, Lauren. Thanks, Lauren. Well, especially too when Lauren Heschel went last time. You shouldn't even get any, like, she went four in a row. She crushed it. So I was, yeah. I was, I was up all night studying, cramming. And look at that. That, that cramming paid off. And you, ma'am, are going to the final four, a spot so far no one has ever been. You're the first person there. Congratulations. Welcome to the final Thank four. Thank you. Heschel, I'm what sorry we have nothing for you. You have to go empty-handed. But hopefully, if your boyfriend was That's listening, okay. tell him you won. Tell him it's over. You are the champion. And I will not correct you at all. I promise. It'll be our little secret, all right? <laughs> I'll say I won and see what he says. <laughs> a nice test. We are starting some trouble in paradise here on the, uh, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. <laughs> So if you want to come on and talk about it, we can do like a Jerry Springer as well. So let us know, right, Hesh? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'll let you know, but I think we'll be okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, Hesh, we appreciate you playing. Lauren, we congratulate you on advancing. It was a fun time. Congratulations on making it to the Final Four, and we will see you in a few weeks to see if you can All make right. it to the championship rank. Congratulations thank again. Okay, thank you. We, uh, we thank the both Laurens, Lauren Heschel and Lauren Clark, for competing and joining here and we congratulate Lauren Clark on going to the Final Four, which, like I said, having to date Lauren Clark, now I have to hear about this probably more and more often. I'm sure she will not be shy to brag about it, which in theory, you know, I'm really on the big loser here. 
I'm really the big loser. She's going to hear about it more and more. And God forbid, if she wins, if someone doesn't take her down, boy, am I in trouble. Am I in big trouble? So if you're listening out there, Cody or Joe or Mike or Rob, please, someone else get it done. That's all I got to say. Please get it done because I cannot, I don't think I can afford to hear the rest of my life hearing about the time she won 2020 or Apocalypse on the, uh, on the Worldwide Sports Network. That is for sure. But we appreciate both Lawrence comp- competing. We will have on Thursday, Sarah versus Nick, three versus six on that side of the bracket to see who will advance and, be, and join Lauren. In the final four, we'll do that on Thursday. And, of course, we have the rest of the lead eight coming up next Monday and next Thursday as well. When we come back, we'll finish off. MLB has to ditch one area of their broadcast that drove me insane during this weekend. I'll tell you what it is. And also, I'll tell a little bit of my own story from vacation, how I'm truly a hero, but also paying the price for it. We'll tell you that about that when the Morning Boys Ryan Aki return right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It, it is the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network. It's time to wake up with the morning boys on Worldwide Sports Radio Network. And here's your host, Ryan Hickey. Ryan Hickey. We're back here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, fresh off Lauren Clark punching her ticket to the 2020 Apocalypse Final Four. I'm sure she's celebrating in the locker room, champagne showers, just like you would see for any other college basketball team that punches their ticket to the Final Four. We congratulate her. Three more spots up for grabs, which we'll do starting next Thursday. Sarah versus Nick, three versus six. We'll see who can punch their ticket and join Lauren in the Final Four. Uh, my Uncle Brian asked, we'll, we'll divvy it up right now. We'll tell you what it is. What are the rules for overtime? Because we almost got there. We almost got there last week with Mike versus Mike. We had a walk-off where Biseglia beat Mike Pooley. And here, Lauren Heschel almost forced overtime. She got the last question right. And overtime is a little bit of a, a fun one, I think. Is that three questions. And similar to how we alternate, you know, the higher seed answers first, then the lower seed goes second. And you alternate who answers first throughout the questions. That's going to be a similar format, except the person who answers first is the only answer that's allowed. So if I give a question, let's say, the person seated higher will answer first, and that answer will go. So the person who goes second will not have a chance to answer. So if the person answers 20-20, it's true, they are, and it ends up being correct, they get the point, the other person can't answer. Then question two, the roles are reversed. The person who goes second for the first question will go first. They will get their chance to answer, and if they are, they are wrong, the other person gets the point, and they are correct. Essentially, we're going to have only one answer. So the pressure is either you're going to win by someone getting it wrong or you're going to do it on your own and you're going to get the questions right and, uh, and move on. So overtime will be a little bit of a, a fun adventure, I think, where only one, amp- one person will answer. They get the question right. They get the point. They get the question wrong. The other person gets the point, and that will help uh, at least solve a winner. So that, that, those are the rules of overtime, so we're clear in case we get there. I have three questions lined up for overtime, ready to go. And we did not use them here, but who knows? We, as we see, the competition is tight. Competition is tight. This is the best of the best. And now, as you saw, Lauren, both Laurens go head-to-head. The first three questions, they were very similar wavelengths, very similar answers. And again, we congratulate Lauren Clark on getting that big W and advancing to the Final Four, which we will play in a few weeks. So if you've been watching the stream, by the way, especially during the breaks uh, here on the video, see me kind of like trying to, stretch my jaw or trying to like pop pop my eardrum 
a little bit of a hero, a little bit of a – and paying the price, I should say, for being that hero over the weekend. Like I said, at Lake George this past weekend, which is why we didn't have the show on Thursday, a little vacation, a little family time. And one of the, uh, one of the activities we did on, on Wednesday was we drove out, had a boat, drove out to these cliffs, very popular area where cliffs are, and you could just jump off, go cliff jumping. And prior to me getting there, I've had some family members, uh, one of them being Sarah, who will be on the show on Thursday, call me out saying that I wouldn't go up to the top and wouldn't jump off. It's about a 40-foot jump, give or take. It was three tiers. It was like a 15-foot, 30-foot, and a 40-foot jump. She was calling me out saying I wouldn't go off the very top. So, of course, you're challenged, not trying to be a chicken, not trying to uh, prove it right, had to go off the top, very high, and very reluctantly jumped off, did jump off. But I'll say this. So being the hero, I'm going to jumping off, no big deal, um, Definitely pay the price because it's got some water in my ear, I think, and I can't get it out. It's been the most frustrating thing. If you, ever, if you know the feeling, it's just – it's so frustrating. It's deep in there. So, like, anytime I shake my head, I can't – like, I don't feel I'm moving. It's just stuck in there. But now, like, my ear has been all acting up. It's tough to hear, to be honest. It's harder to hear out of the right ear than it is the left ear. A lot of pressure building up. I'm just trying to relieve the pressure. So it's been, not been fun. You know, you pay the price for being a hero sometimes. You jump off the top. You prove some people wrong. And what happens for you, you end up paying the price by getting water deep, deep, deep in your ear that just unable so far to get stuck. This has been Wednesday, by the way. I'm going on almost a week of water in the air. It is frustrating. It's not fun. But, Sarah, I hope you're happy. hope you're disappointed, I should say, at least, for, for being proven wrong. And hopefully, by the time she's on the show on Thursday, it is the water's out. I figured it out. Um, but if not, she will may have to incur a penalty. You know, she might be down you know, negative one to zero. By the time uh, 2020 starts, we may have to give Nick some sort of advantage for, uh, for this. But, yeah, that's, that's at least why you, you see me kind of stretching my jaw and trying to, f- trying to pop my eardrum. It, uh, yeah, it is frustrating. So if you have any techniques on how to get water out of your ear, I've looked up a few. They haven't really worked so far. Um, I've had my head down on the side. I've tried this cupping mechanism that's supposed to, like, suck the water out. Uh, so far, offers on anything. So any suggestions, any home remedies on how to get water out of your ear, I'm all ears. We're all at Sports Radio Network on Facebook, WWSRN underscore radio on Twitter. We are here to take your getting the best ways to get water out of your ear. We're getting those remedies here on the World Wide Sports Network before we get out here in about 15 or so minutes. But I do want to finish on this note, and that is it was great to have real baseball. And by real baseball, I should say, you know, at least live baseball against another team. It's not an exhibition. That's not a um, – or I should say not an inter-squad game, excuse me. Not a scrimmage, but a real exhibition. Games don't count, but still nice to watch games played against different teams. You had the Phillies playing the Nationals. Obviously, myself being a Mets fan, watched a lot of Mets versus Yankees this past weekend. And it was, honestly, it was great. Great to see, even though the games didn't count, I was way too fired up for them, way too excited. Nice to have baseball back in a time that, you know, we hope to have sports back now as the next few weeks kind of rumble in. We'll, we hope that sports can get off the ground and do so safely. So that's exciting to actually see it really coming to fruition, actually see it coming, seeing the light at the end of the tunnel, that sports can come back and resume safely and not get shut down by the virus again. And so it was great to see baseball do so and get off their feet. Like I said, exhibition games provided, honestly, it provided a great look on how the regular season is going to be. As we know, it's going to be a very, very different, very weird, very abnormal 2020 baseball season. No fans in the stands, a 60-game sprint, some of the um, you know, social distancing in the dugout. There's no high fives. Um, it, it's very different. It's going to take some getting used to. So I think the exhibition games, watching them on TV, playing them in the real stadiums um, w- with the real broadcasts kind of gave you a glimpse of what to expect once the games actually start. And for me, 
for the most part, outside of one factor, it seemed pretty normal. The broadcast, despite the broadcasters for the TV being in your home ballpark no matter what. So the Yankee broadcasters, Michael Kay and the Yes crew, were broadcasting sun, uh, Saturday's game at City Field from Yankee Stadium. And vice versa, the home TV crews will broadcast every single game from their own team's home stadium. So basically, they're doing it remotely. So any, team, any, any road game, the home TV crew will do so remotely. And for the most part, it sounded pretty good. Both the Yankees sounded pretty good on Saturday. The Mets sounded pretty good on Sunday. So for the most part, it's not going to be too different from, a, from an actual watching the game point of view. But there was one aspect that drove me crazy that was noticeable, and to me, it definitely was a distraction. That's a fake crowd noise that was pumped in through the stadium anytime a player got a hit, a strikeout happened, basically anything that happened. An opponent hits a home run, your team hits a home run, they pump in cheering, they pump in this, this fake crowd noise of what is an expected reaction to be from the fans. So the home team, you know, the home pitcher strikes someone out, little cheer from the fans. Single, little cheer from the fans. Home run, big cheer from the fans. To me, it was a distraction. It was more frustrating than anything else. And then this is coming from someone who, who I don't really mind keeping a lot of the game day experiences the same. You know, they had their walk-up songs for a lot of the players. They had the PA announcer still announcing the players' names despite no one being in the stands. I like that. If you want to have the stadium organist play tunes in between pitches like a, like a normal stadium would, right? You try to drum with some excitement, maybe get a Let's Go Mets chant in there, maybe play some, you know, some other baseball music per se that you know, you're used to hearing in a stadium. If you want to do that, that's fine. I have no problem with that. That works. Even the cardboard cutouts that the Mets put specifically behind home plate to basically just put something there so you're not looking at empty stands didn't seem too weird. But I'll be honest, the, the fake noise, and I saw it and I heard it, and it was a distraction right away. The first player, Brandon Nimmo, was a leadoff hitter for the Mets, got a single the first at bat, and I heard it. It drove me crazy. And this is why, at least to me, it's frustrating. We know there's no fans there. We understand that. We're not trying to pretend that there are fans. We're not trying to hide the fact that these stadiums are going to be empty for the foreseeable future. So why pretend like there's fans in the stands? Why pretend that there are fans there screaming? So I think the walk-up song, I think the organist, I think the PA announcer being there, I think the cardboard cutouts provide some sort of normalcy. Because as we know, baseball players are creatures of habit. You used to doing the same thing every single day. You have a routine set, no matter if you're home or on the road. You have your routine. You wake up in the morning. You do this. You swing your, you know, you go to batting practice this time. You do fielding practice this time. You eat this meal. You eat it here. You eat it there. You hang out with these people. You have your pregame rituals. Basically, more than any other sport, because you're playing every single day, you have your routines and your creatures of habit. And part of that is your walk-up song. Is the PA announcer. Is hearing some sort of music in between innings like it's a normal game. Which to me, I have, all, I have no problem with. I think it's all fine. But the, the fake noise just feels weird. It feels, like, it feels too forced. Because now you're asking someone in the stadium or in a truck somewhere to basically expect what the crowd reaction is going to be. And I understand that's easy. You know, you get a, the home team gets a big base hit. Okay, it's easy to have some cheering. But it, it, sounds, it, it doesn't sound good to me personally. It, it drove me crazy. So I want to know, who's it for? Because I think you're doing the walk-up songs. You have the PA announcer. You're doing a lot of this other normal in-game activities that you would for the players to keep it, keep it normal. Keep the season as normal as possible. Try to eliminate or, or try to make it, you know, as normalized as you possibly can. 
But are you really playing the fake crowd noise for the fans at home? Because it's not even that audible. It's not like you can hear clearly, distinctly the roar of the crowd every time a strikeout happens or a base hit happens. It's pretty faint. Again, it's coming from the, the stadium itself. It's not coming from the broadcast. So it sounds faint. But it's, it's, to me, it's too much of a distraction. It's too noticeable that it doesn't create the best viewing experience. So if we're going to try to keep it normal or as normal as possible, to me, that also includes, you know, l- let's recognize the reality. No fans there? Okay, so it's going to be quiet after a home run. It's going to be quiet after a strikeout. You, know, you can't go to the dugout anymore and give high fives. You know, if you get a strikeout, you can't throw the ball right to the infield because you're going to get a new ball because MLB wants as least amount of players touching the ball as possible. That's all well and good. You can raise the home run apple if you want after a home run. Play some music. That's all, to me, that is all well and fine. The fake crowd noise just doesn't feel organic to me. That's the one thing that feels too forced, that feels very out of place, and to me is a big distraction. So maybe I'm making something that, you know, out of nothing, maybe I'm making too big of a deal um, about it, but I, for whatever reason, I noticed it right away, like I said, the first batter um, of the game for the Mets gets a hit, and right away you notice it. And it was not something I was a fan of, so... It sounds like they're going to plan to do it the entire season. I hope sooner rather than later they realize everything else is good, everything else sounds normal, everything else to me is necessary and all well and good, except having fake fans, except having fake crowd noise, and trying to guess the reaction on what the fans are supposed to be despite no fans being in the stands. Excuse me. Oof. Thirsty from all that yelling, I guess, for a 2020 apocalypse. So I may be crazy if you want to comment. If you listen to any of the exhibition games this weekend, if you know what I'm talking about, if you heard the fake crowd noise and you love it, let me know why. If you hate it, let me know why. I'm definitely uh, one that hates it for sure. But I will say this. It definitely helped drum up some excitement. Having some games that didn't count, didn't matter. Watching Uena Cespedes get to the plate, watching Bryce Harper hit home runs, watching Steven Strasburg and, or Schutzen Max Scherzer at least get on the mound. It is so good to go on social media and watch baseball highlights again and really have the first normal night of the summer this past weekend on Saturday. It, I mean, I am so jacked up, and it's crazy to think, and it's finally here. And by the time we do our next show on Thursday, we will have real baseball being played that day. Opening day is Thursday. Yankees, Nationals, Dodgers, Giants. We hope and we pray the season can get off on the right foot, players can stay safe, we can get a season not only that starts, but also finishes as well, and that'll be just incredible for morale all over. And uh, fingers crossed that if they do so, they give her to the fake crowd noise, give her to everything else, it doesn't work, and hopefully at least we get on with the regular season. So going back to a 2020 apocalypse, going back to my uh, cliff jumping story, Beth writes in, should Sarah be disqualified for attacking the host? You know, that's, that's a great, interesting point. I might have to say yes. Because not only did Sarah attack the host, yours truly, once by, not, by calling me out saying I won't jump off the cliffs, not to mention she called me out when I wasn't even there. This is before I got there. We got there late, a few days late. This is Sarah talking a big, you know, a big game. She's talking smack, behind, not even behind my back, just before I'm even there to defend myself. I heard from second, third, and fourth sources that said, oh, yeah, by the way, Sarah calls you out saying you won't jump. 
So not only did she attack me then, I won't even get into the story about the time I, I, drive, I drove the boat to go tubing, and she's attacking me, calling, you know, d- despite the fact that we're on the same plan, but who's getting on the boat, how we're going to go about, you know, n- making sure there's not too many people so we can go too fast. She's calling me out for, for the uh, organization of it, despite the fact that both of us are literally saying the same thing. So, yeah, Sarah had herself a hell of a weekend. I'm not going to disqualify because, again, we are, you know, we're trying to be fair here, trying to be unbiased. But I will say this. Sarah did herself no favors. She's going to get no softballs on Thursday. That is for sure. I may have to, you know, text Nick before uh, at 10-15 before we start, maybe an answer or two. Hey, 2020 number one. Hey, apocalypse number number two, you know. Just just don't forget that, all right? Because, yeah, Sarah had a – she had herself a weekend. That is for sure. But no disqualification, Beth. I can't lie. I thought about it. I did think about it. But we'll let her compete. We'll give her a fair shot. And it sounds like she needs the money because she was speeding pretty fast going down, uh, coming down to the shore, going from Lake George. So we'll, we'll just say this. I think, uh, I think, I think the, uh, the first place prize will do her well because her pockets are going to be a little lighter after her, uh, after her latest speeding incident. So there, there's my one shot at Sarah that she's not here to defend herself. Um, but had to get it, had to get it after just enduring shot after shot after shot for family vacation. I had to get one back in there myself. So that will do it for this edition of the morning boys on this Monday morning. We appreciate Lauren Heschel for coming out and competing. We congratulate Lauren Clark for advancing to the final four of 2020 apocalypse. Sarah herself said Sarah will compete on Thursday against Nick to one of them will punch their ticket to the final four. We're excited to do that. And on Thursday, we will have real baseball to discuss. We'll give our season preview, our Morning Boys season preview, division winners for baseball, World Series winners for baseball. I can promise you this. A lot of the good teams will be in contention. I can promise you that. It's going to be a very weird year. We'll give you the, the season breakdown, all six division winners, and who's going to win the playoffs, and actually revel in the fact that baseball will be played for real, real games will be played, and the following week we'll have real basketball games played as well. So it's good time. Sports are finally coming back right here at the end of the July. We're going to have a jam-packed show now going forward because there's going to be a lot to talk about, a lot of sports to talk about, and we hope and we pray they can do so safely, come back and not have the virus take down um, another sports league yet again. So very excited for Thursday's show. We'll do that all uh, on Thursday. Congratulations, Lauren. Um, we appreciate you listening and starting your week with us. I brain fart that. I apologize. Appreciate your weeks to listen to us. We will be back on Thursday right here on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Radio Network.